Well, today, everyone, we are going to be looking at the book of Jonah. That's page 726 in the Pew Bible in front of you. And if you don't have a Bible, um, that Bible is our gift to you. Um, Or if you know someone that needs one, please feel free to take it. Well, as you turn to Jonah chapter 1 in your Bibles, let me just give a brief introduction to this book. We will be looking at the story of Jonah. It is a true story. It took place 2,800 years ago. But I think that Jonah is a very relevant book for us today in the 21st century. Jonah might be one of the most recognized books in the Bible, but yet at the same time, it it might be the most misunderstood book in the Bible. You ask a coworker or a friend if they've heard about it, and they'll be like, oh yeah, Jonah and the big whale or Jonah and the big fish, because they know about the fish, don't they? Well, the fish is only mentioned three times in the book, and the fish is not the main character. No, friends, we will find in the book of Jonah today, and as we go in this mini-series throughout the rest of the book, God is the main character. What's unique about Jonah is that there's actually very little prophecy in the book. In chapter 3, we have five Hebrew words which make one sentence of prophecy. Also, what's unique is that Jonah is the first prophet of God for God to send outside of the nation of Israel to preach to a Gentile nation and warn them of the wrath to come and to repent and turn to God. Well, if there's a main idea of Jonah chapter 1 this morning, it is this. When God's people flee his commission, he will discipline them as a father and he will save them as their God. When God's people flee his commission, he will discipline them as a father and save them as their God. This main idea will serve as our three points this morning. First, God commissions his people. Second, God disciplines his people. And third, God saves his people. So point number one, God commissions his people. We see this in the first three verses. Read along with me. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and he went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Well, right off the bat, we see the movement of Jonah chapter one is going upward. God says to Jonah, get up and go to Nineveh. Well, Jonah gets up, doesn't he? But does he go to Nineveh? No, he fled the presence of the Lord. He went down to that port city of Joppa where he found a ship. He paid the fare and he got on the ship and he went down into the cargo hold, the innermost part of that ship, to hide away, to flee to Tarshish. Now this ancient city of Nineveh that God wanted him to go to, it's located in modern-day Mosul, Iraq, the most recent stronghold of where ISIS was held. He was sent to tell them that God was going to judge them for their sin. 
but we find that Jonah fled from the presence of God. He fled from his commission of going to Nineveh, and he fled 2,500 miles west toward Tarshish, which would be modern-day Spain. Well, Jonah's downward actions of fleeing God's presence just shows the conflict he has with the Lord in his rebellion. You see, prophets stood in the divine presence of God awaiting their orders. But Jonah abandoned his station in that courtroom of God. He abandoned it and he fled. And Jonah knew that if he neglected to go to Nineveh, the same fate would be death upon himself. Well, we are like Jonah sometimes, aren't we? We are a resistant people. We're resistant to go out of our comfort zones and even to do something simply because we don't want to do it. Have you ever tried to hide from the presence of God in your life? If so, how come? There are multiple reasons why we'd want to flee and escape God's presence. Most prominently would be if we're in our sin and rebellion against what God has called us to do in his word, what he's commissioned us to do. You know, sometimes God calls us to go out of our comfort zones, to go somewhere that we think would be impossible. Or we we think, oh, that's not for me. Or we think, what does God think he's telling me to do? I, I can't do that. He doesn't really know what he's asking me to do. Well, remember when God told Moses to go and talk to the most powerful man in the known world that day, Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and to tell Pharaoh, God says, let my people go. What did Moses do? He started listing off all the excuses he could find. I'm tongue-tied. I can't speak. They won't understand me. I can't do it. It's not for me. But God said, you have your brother Aaron. He can speak for you. You have these signs I will give you to perform, to win over Pharaoh, to win over the Hebrew people. God gave Moses confidence. He gave him the signs. He gave him his presence. He gave him boldness. We find Moses ended up doing all the talking anyway. So we find we're, we're like Jonah. We're resistant to go. We're like Moses. We like to give excuses. But the truth is, we cannot outrun God or hide from him. God is everywhere. And God created us, and he knows what's best for us. He knows what's for our good, even when we don't know what's best for ourselves. So God is there for us, friend. Even when we shrink back in fear, in unbelief, or even in our fling of God's presence in our sin, But when we do, God will lovingly pursue us even when we're running away from him. Well, dear Christian, just as God put Jonah's name on the map to go to Nineveh, God has put your name on the map as well. Where has God put your name this morning? Where is God calling you to go? Is he calling you to reach out to that coworker that you see every day in the break room? Is he calling you to speak to your neighbor who you see in the front lawn every morning? Is God calling you to join a local church? 
Is he calling you to join a manual Baptist church? It doesn't have to be this church. It could be another gospel preaching church where you can get plugged in and serve in, where you can be washed with the word when it is preached and loved on by the community there. It can feed your soul. Is God calling you to go overseas, kind of like Jonah, and do mission work? You see, God has placed every one of our names on the map somewhere, but can we see where he has put our name? Can we see clearly where he's commissioning us to go? And if so, are we fleeing God's presence or are we acting in obedience? Well, not only does God commission his people, but God disciplines his people as a father. And this is point number two. God disciplines his people. God disciplines his people. We see this in verses four to 10. So read along with me. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the innermost part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give us a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Well, just as Jonah didn't give verbal excuses to God like Moses did, but he fled in his silence, God responds to Jonah in an unconventional way, in a nonverbal way, and God hurls a wind upon the sea to track down Jonah. You see, God rebukes Jonah with this uh, tempestuous storm on the sea, You know, the very means by which Jonah was fleeing God's presence and that ship, that ship teams up with God and it threatens to break apart and stop Jonah in his tracks. Well, the sea in the Bible is commonly a symbol of chaos, of death and destruction and even sinful tension between a person and God. And so this setting of the tempestuous storm upon the sea represents Jonah's spiritual state before God. Jonah thinks he is heading for distant and exotic lands, but he is heading straight to his grave. In fact, when Jonah says, um, it says that he was asleep in the innermost part of that ship, that is pointing us to where he is headed, 
to his grave. It's foreshadowing the near-death experience that Jonah is undergoing. But we find that Jonah was fast asleep on the ship. And there's an incredible and tempestuous storm raging around him. The sailors who lived on the sea um, as their occupation, these men were afraid. But Jonah, in his rebellion and fleeing and conflict with God, he was sleeping at peace. Aren't we like Jonah sometimes? Have we become so at peace with fleeing from God in an area of our life that the spiritual storm and state of our heart before God doesn't scare us? We're at peace with it. Well, that is a false peace. When we become okay with and at peace with living in a sinful and chaotic spiritual state, we grieve the Holy Spirit who lives within us. Are there things that you are allowing to take place in your life that are grieving the Spirit this morning? Are you filling your minds with the false narratives of the world and with the lies of the enemy in the podcasts you listen to, the music you listen to, the TV or movies you watch, the books that you read? Or are you filling your minds with the truths of God's word and his promises? We should be like the deer in Psalm 42 that pants after the flowing streams of water so that our souls pant for the living God. And like Joshua, when Moses tells him to meditate on God's word day and night so that he is careful to do all that is written in it. Well, this morning, are you grieving the spirit in your life by resisting the command to neglect the gathering of the church each week? Now, I am not saying that if you miss a Sunday because of work, which I do from time to time, or if you're visiting family in another state, that you're in sin. But what I am saying is that the uh, matter of your heart and obedience to the Lord is what is at stake is the overall uh, trajectory of your life one where you are gathering with a local body of believers for the care of your soul? Well, are you grieving the Spirit because God is calling you to share Jesus with someone, but you haven't because you think, well, that is someone that will never repent? Oh, dear Christian, never assume anything when the Holy Spirit is the only one that can resurrect the spiritual dead. God can resurrect someone spiritually and save them from their sin whenever, wherever, and with whoever he pleases. Salvation belongs to the Lord, we will find in Jonah chapter 2. And so when we are obedient to share the good news of Jesus Christ with someone, we plant that seed of God's truth in their life. Someone else may come along to that same person and water that seed when they share the good news with them. But friends, only God gives the increase. Only God can change one's heart. 
Only God can resurrect the spiritual dead and that seed bloom into fruition and grow. Well, this storm that God brought upon the sea to get Jonah's attention because he was fleeing from him is like God disciplining his own children for sinning against him. Why? Because he loves them. We see in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 4 to 12, that James, the brother of Jesus, says, don't regard God's discipline for you lightly because he loves you and he's reproving you because he wants you to become more like his son, Jesus. And so God chastises every son and every daughter whom he has received. So God treats us as sons and daughters because he is our heavenly father in heaven. Well, mothers here this morning, do you have little Jonas running around in your home? When your child talks back to you, do you discipline them? When you tell them to clean the room and then they neglect to do it, do you hold them accountable? When your son hits your daughter because he wants to play with the toy your daughter's playing with, how do you handle the situation? Or when your son is grabbing for that big chocolate chip cookie and he hasn't touched a single healthy thing on his plate, how do you teach him in that moment? Or when you give your daughter a a certain curfew to be home that night, but she slips in past midnight, how do you handle a situation? Well, I can go on and on of everyday circumstances because I was a child too. But I'm not a parent yet, and many of you are. Many of you are mothers, and you know the day in and day out of what goes on, the time, the patience, the instruction, the teaching, the loving, it goes into raising your children and raising them in the admonition and fear of the Lord. So on behalf of everyone, I do want to thank all of you mothers and grandmothers for all that you do in raising your children. Your dedication and service does not go unnoticed. Your love and dedication has raised all of us at some point. Well, we are all like Jonah, even our children, because we are all born with a sinful nature, aren't we? So everything you mothers and grandmothers do each and every day to raise the children to live godly lives and not lives like the world's, it means a lot. And we pray that God would bless you for all of your efforts and your endeavors for raising the children to fear the Lord. Well, what about those of you mothers and even fathers who have a child that is pulling a Jonah and they are in a state of running from God despite all the years you've fought so hard to raise them to fear God, all the instruction you have poured into them and they are still running from God. Oh, mothers and even fathers, grandmas and grandpas, trust God that he has worked in Jesus to save us and that God will sustain you and uphold you. 
What our children need most from us is to witness a hopeful and obedient trusting from us in the God who saves. Romans 10, 17 says that faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of Christ. So faith will come daily for every one of us when we hear God's word. We'll realize that also God's own children, his chosen nation of Israel, rebelled against him over and over and over again. So don't let the enemy weigh you down with guilt that you cannot bear. Also remember that Paul, the Apostle Paul in the New Testament, he said that he was the chief of sinners. This man hunted down and put Christians in jail. He even killed them. He persecuted the church of Christ. But Paul says that God showed mercy upon him and saved him so that through Christ Jesus, the perfect patience of God would be displayed. Oh, so dear mothers, your rebellious children are not outside of the perfect patience of God. Meditate on the truth that God is sovereign over the human heart here this morning. He can make a camel fit through the eye of a needle. That is to say that with God, nothing is impossible. And so salvation is possible with God, even though they are fleeing his presence currently. So dear mothers, grandmothers, keep praying for your children. God does not grow weary in listening to your prayers for your children. Well, James says you discipline your children because you see um, their best in that moment and because you love them. But God disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. It may seem painful in the moment, dear friend, but later it brings about the peaceful fruit of righteousness to all of us who have been trained by it. Well, what about us as Emmanuel Baptist when it comes to God disciplining his people? How does that relate to us as a church? Well, for one, Christians don't flee from God. We flee from sin. Christians don't flee from God. We flee from sin. So when a Christian goes down the path of fleeing God and unrepentant sin, Jesus has a formal way of discipline for people who are under the care of a church. If you see a brother or sister living in unrepentant sin, go to them privately and let them know. If they don't listen to you, bring one or two others with you so that the charge against them has two or three witnesses. And if that person is still unwilling to repent of sin, then you bring them before the church, the body. And if they don't listen to the church, they're still living in unrepentant sin, then putting them out of the church is the most loving thing the church can do for them. You see, formal church discipline is a loving act of removing an individual from membership when the church can no longer publicly affirm that they are a Christian. Now, that's not saying you're not a Christian. It's saying by the lifestyle you're living and you're unwilling to repent, we can't affirm that you are. So discipline exposes sin 
that has entangled someone. It warns them of God's judgment to come, but it aims to save through the individual repenting of that sin. And the aim is to protect the body of the church and is to protect the reputation of Christ. Well, in verse six, we see the captain comes down to the cargo hold of that ship and he finds Jonah sleeping, doesn't he? And he says, get up, call to your God. You know, these two commands, up, cry out, is the same two commands that Jonah is fleeing from, from verse two. Jonah cannot get away from God's commission, can he? Even when he's hiding out in the middle of the tempestuous storm in the sea and he's down in the bottom of that ship trying to sleep peacefully, he wakes up and hears God's commands. Jonah's attempt to escape God's commission was futile. It haunted him even in the innermost depth of the ship. But the text doesn't say that Jonah prayed in that moment, does it? We don't know if he did. Perhaps he didn't want God's help because he's still trying to run away from God. Well, have you ever avoided asking God for help? If you did, why do you think that was? Was it because you felt you got yourself into so much trouble that only you can get yourself out? Do you think you have wandered so far away from God's presence that he would not be able to hear your cry for help? Well, friend, God was there in the bottom of that ship for Jonah, wasn't he? So that he wouldn't perish along with the sailors. He was sleeping in a state of running away from God, and he was at peace with that. But God is everywhere, isn't he? And he can help you no matter how far you have sailed away. No matter how far you have run away, no matter how big you think you have messed up, God is there. Cry out to God for help. Cry out for God to save you. Well, also we see in verse 6 that private sin has corporate consequences. Private sin has corporate consequences. The captain and the sailors who lived on the sea for a living, they were afraid, weren't they? They were literally fearing that they were going to die on that ship in that storm. Well, secret sin, when it is brought into the light, it can tear a family apart. It can tear and divide a church apart. It can hurt those who are closest to you. It can hurt those who love you the most. Well, remember, when you think you are okay in fleeing God's presence in an area of your life, and you're at peace with it like Jonah, because you think no one will know, God is there. And if you this morning are a Christian and you are hiding sin in your life, remember the Holy Spirit, who is God, lives within you and he is there. So when we sin as believers in Christ, it grieves the Holy Spirit. It mocks Jesus who died for that very sin. It causes a storm to arise between you and the Father. Just like Jonah, sin gives us a false peace that we are okay. But in reality, we are going downward like Jonah. So, dear Christian, remember who you are in Christ. 
When you get that wake-up call like Jonah, get up. Because you will continue to go deeper and deeper downwards until you hit rock bottom. But we'll find out in chapter 2, dear Christian, if you ever hit rock bottom, God is there to save you. Well, in verse 7, the sailors are showing a hunger for revelation, aren't they? They cast lots and they're questioning Jonah, but Jonah is fleeing God's revelation. And it is only out of reluctance that he lets the sailors know who the God is that was offended and why there's a tempestuous storm threatening to kill them. The sailors had given up calling upon their own gods to help them, and now they turn to an Israelite ritual of casting lots, and it opened the door to God's revelation to them. So lot casting was the only form of divination that was allowed in Israel. And so one used small stones or marked objects and placed them in a container, and they shook it up, and when the pieces fell out of the container and wherever they landed, it, it marked that individual or that, that place um, of God's divine um, will. And so we find, for example, Proverbs 16 says the lot is cast into the lap, but the every decision is from the Lord. In the New Testament, in Acts 1, we see that um, they needed to fill Judas's spot as an apostle. They needed to add a 12th apostle. And so they prayed and they cast lots between two different men, and the lot fell on Matthias. Matthias was added to their number as an apostle of Jesus Christ. Well, these sailors cast lots, and it fell on Jonah, didn't it? They questioned Jonah in order to find out what, which deity was angry and causing the storm. Well, Jonah answers the last question first. He identifies himself as a Hebrew. And then he proceeds to their first and most important question by saying that he fears the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. And these sailors immediately realized they're dealing with a cosmic deity, the God who created the heavens and the earth. He wasn't some local deity. He was God, the living God. And only this God, the God of Jonah, could bring them safely back to dry land. Well, Jonah's claim is ironic, isn't it? He says he fears the Lord, the God who made the sea and the land, but he's running away from God in disobedience. Has Jonah at all this far shown any evidence of fearing the God with his actions? Well, do our actions back up our beliefs? We say we profess to know God. We profess to be a Christ follower. Do our actions back up our words? We can be like Jonah sometimes, and yet we flee his presence in some area in our life. But may we have a right fear of the Lord so that when we do sin, we'll be quick to repent of that sin so that the, and um, turn back to God rather than 
undergo a storm that God would send in our life to get our attention. Well, in verse 10, we see the men were exceedingly afraid because they knew which God had been offended. The sailors questioned Jonah as to what he did to offend such a powerful cosmic deity and put the entire crew at risk of life-threatening danger. You see, these sailors were showing genuine fear of the Lord, but Jonah and his rebellion had not expressed that same fear of God. Well, not only does God commission his people and discipline his people, but God saves his people. This leads us to point number three this morning. God saves his people. We see this in verses 11 to 17. Read along with me. Then they said to him, what shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to get back to dry land, but they could not. For the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they cried out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. You see, in verse 11, the sailors knew that God's wrath needed to be appeased. And so they asked this fleeing prophet what they must do to save them from perishing in the sea. They knew that some punishment of Jonah was in order, and they offered themselves as agents of the punishment by asking what they needed to do to Jonah to save them. And this is a familiar theme throughout the Old Testament. God uses the nations of the world to discipline his own people. In verse 12, Jonah told the sailors, throw him into the sea and it will quiet down for them. And the connection between Jonah's fate and that of the cargo that the sailors had just hurled overboard into the sea is one and the same. You see, the cargo was useless and it weighed down the ship and it threatened the crew. And Jonah, in his rebellion against God and fleeing away from his presence, he became a useless vessel and he was weighing down and endangering the lives of the crew on that ship. Well, in verse 13, no matter how hard they tried to row back to dry land, they could not. They were running out of time and they were running out of options. And so the language here used for the rowing hard has the meaning of digging into the ground. You see, they were attempting to row back to dry land, but they were only digging a hole down to the grave, which they will eventually cast Jonah into. 
So the more they tried to dig through God's wrath, the more intense that storm around them became. Friend, you cannot outrow God when you are fleeing his presence. The more you try to dodge the storms that he has hurled into your life to get your attention, the greater those storms will come. You know, God oftentimes displays his wrath to convince those whom he has called that he is serious about including them in his plan of redemption. God wanted to redeem the the people in the city of Nineveh, the capital of Assyria at that time. And Jonah, or God wanted to use Jonah to do just that. So brother and sister this morning, humble yourself before God and repent of your sin of fleeing away. It doesn't matter how far you have wandered away from God. It only takes one step to get back. Turn around in repentance and step back towards God. Well, in verse 14, when the sailors see that they're not getting anywhere, they're digging themselves down to the grave, they call out on Jonah's God to spare their lives and not to hold them accountable for what they're about to do to Jonah. So they decided to go through with it, with Jonah's suggestion, because they knew it would please God and appease God's wrath. See, the crew, they're recognizing that God is sovereign over all creation and he does whatever he pleases. It should have been Jonah, God's own prophet, calling out to God to save him, shouldn't it? But God, or Jonah was too busy running away from God. But these sailors, they called out to God with his own divine name. And so there's a distinct difference between the crew and Jonah's confession. Jonah said he feared the Lord, but he was running away. And this crew, they feared the Lord with their whole lives. And it's visible in their prayer to God to save them. Well, in verse 15, the sailors, they hurled Jonah into the sea, didn't they? And what happened? The sea ceased from its raging. Literally, the sea stood still. Just like the personification of the ship when it threatened to break up symbolizes God's judgment on Jonah. The personification of the sea standing still personifies and symbolizes God relenting of his wrath. Well, in verse 16, the sea is quiet. Jonah is sinking down to his grave. And what takes place? The men are motivated to genuinely worship the God of heaven. Before they feared exceedingly, but now their fear has an object. These men now fear God of heaven exceedingly. After their encounter with Jonah, the sailors publicly worshiped the Lord. One verse 17, God provides a great fish to swallow up Jonah. You see, this great fish was an answer to the sailors' prayer that they would not be held responsible for any bloodshed that would happen to Jonah. God saved Jonah's life, and the fish was an instrument of God's salvation. You see, the Gospels in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, 
They compared Jesus to Jonah primarily on the basis of Jesus's teaching that he would rise again from the dead. You see, we're shown with Jonah and Jesus side by side. Both had a journey from death to life. And both have a concern for the nations. Jonah went on, as we'll find in in the upcoming weeks, he went on to, to share the good news to Nineveh and the city repented. Jesus's resurrection accomplishes salvation for everyone from every tribe, language, people, and nation to save them. You see, God's appointment of the great fish to swallow Jonah reassured Jonah that God had not abandoned him, even when Jonah had abandoned God, despite his disobedience and his death wish. Well, friends, even though Jonah was thrown overboard the ship to go down to his grave in order to appease God's wrath and to save the sailors, someone else was willingly thrown overboard to save us. Friend, 2,000 years ago, someone greater than Jonah was here. His name is Jesus. He perfectly lived his life in obedience to his Father in heaven. And just like the sins of the people of Nineveh came up before God, your sins and my sins have come up before God as well. So that all of us, We deserve the storm of God's wrath to break up the ship of our lives. We all have sinned against God. None of us are righteous. No, not one. We all deserve to be thrown overboard and to go straight to our grave. And God, he would be just to let us die in our sins, wouldn't he? God is a holy God, and he cannot let sin go unpunished. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love which he have, has loved us, even when we are dead in our sins and trespasses, he made us alive in Christ Jesus. It is by grace we have been saved through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, because Jesus lived a perfect life, it qualified him to be a perfect sacrifice on our behalf. You see, Jesus willingly was thrown overboard for us, wasn't he? Jesus willingly went to that cross on Calvary to die in our place, where the full wrath of God was poured out on him that should have been poured out on me and on you. And Jesus shed his blood for us, and his death effectively pays the penalty for our sin, for all who would repent and trust in this Jesus who lived the life we will never live, who died the death that we all deserve, and who rose again, showing that God accepted his sacrifice to save us and forgive us of all of our sin. And friend, Jesus is alive today, and he is sitting at the right hand of his Father on high, interceding on our behalf. Are you, friend, trusting in this Jesus today? Do you know this God who loves you so much that he sent his only son to die for you in your place so that you may have forgiveness of sins? 
Well, we have seen that when God's people flee his commission, he will discipline them as a father and save them as their God. We saw that God commissions his people just as God commissioned Jonah to go to Nineveh. He has placed your name and my name on the map somewhere. Are we obediently following our calling and commission? We saw that God disciplines his people. You see, God is your heavenly father who loves you. Accept his discipline as a way of loving you and molding you and shaping you to become more like his son, Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit who lives within you. And thirdly, we saw that God saves his people. Even when we are running away in our sin and in our rebellion, Christ died for all those who would repent and believe in him for the forgiveness of sins. You see, Jesus was thrown overboard for us when he died on that cross. He willingly did so, that God might save us by his grace through faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Friend, this morning, are you believing in this great God? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we are in awe of who you are of your love for us, God, we who are all sinners don't deserve your mercy. We deserve your storm, tempestuous storm in our life. We deserve to go down into our grave and be separated from you forever. But God, in love, you pursued us when we were running from you. You woke us up by your spirit and you given us a new heart that we might repent and believe and have full forgiveness of sin and to have a relationship with you. God, we don't deserve it, but we love you for it. We thank you for your son, Jesus, who died in our place. And Lord, we thank you ultimately for saving us from our sin. And you continue to save us each and every day. So thank you, Lord God. We pray all these things in your name and for your glory. Amen.